let's talk a little bit about takeoff. It's something that we <laughs> get questions about all the time on our calls. Yeah. And people say they're afraid of takeoff or they're afraid of turbulence or whatever it is. So uh, I always like to talk through kind of the different decision points that we talk about on, during takeoff because what the, the question that comes up is, is oh, I just feel like we're going to run off the end of the runway and what's stopping us from doing that? And the answer yeah. is a lot. Well, ladies and gentlemen, from the flight deck, Kyle and Joey, and we're presented by Dial-A-Pilot, and uh, we're the best podcast out there for, for the nervous flyers, or at least we're attempting to be. So uh, for the first episode, we'd like to thank everybody for joining and welcome you to it. A lot of you have had the opportunity to either get to know me through our social media stuff or even on a phone call, and a few of you have gotten to know Joey from the phone calls that we've done and uh, so we just like to take a little bit longer to introduce ourselves. So Joey, uh, first of all, thanks for thanks for jumping on, man. I'm excited to be doing this with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Kyle. Um, I've known you for a while. We're going to get into that here shortly. But privileged to be a part of this. I, I talk about it on the phone calls. I didn't realize how many of, I guess in my case, 230 passengers were so afraid of flying. And and being a part of this, I've really been able to kind of talk to the individuals and and, and see what makes them nervous on their end and see if there's anything that I can do when I'm flying or when I'm talking to them to help alleviate those fears. So I think this podcast is going to be great for that. We're going to get into all that here uh, shortly. So thanks again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's been so interesting to get into this. And, and again, we'll talk about kind of the long form story of actually how a uh, dial a pilot came to be, but the fact of the matter is that 40% of the U.S. public reports being afraid of flying in some way or another, which is just a substantial number when you consider that 2.5 million people per day go through a TSA checkpoint in the United States alone. 40% mm. of those being afraid is roughly a million. And uh, that number just caught me off guard. And so when you dug more into it, more into it, I realized that there really wasn't a great service in between, you know, those uh, psychologists and hypnosis and EMDR and all of those things for the 5% of the public that's really truly has a phobia but the other you know 95% of that subsection really didn't have an option besides getting Xanax or Zoloft or whatever it was and so we just said hey I think we could probably help here by holding ourselves out for these phone calls and putting out all this educational content because what people's brain does is it grabs onto some historical accident that they've seen and all of a sudden they're on the airplane and if they're nervous and they hear a, a ding from the flight deck or they see the seatbelt sign come on and they don't have any context from the pilots, all of a sudden the brain goes into what's called confirmation bias and they start looking for reasons that they're afraid or I'm sorry, looking for reasons that they're in danger. And so the brain tries mm -hmm. to do that as a survival mechanism and oftentimes it's just simply not right. So if we can get out there and, and create all of this content surrounding how aviation has become as safe as, as it is and really seek to humanize the flight deck. I think we can make a really big impact in uh, moving forward, helping folks uh, get through that fear and be able to travel with confidence because it's so important to be able to travel uh, around the world, whether it's, you know, within the United States or flying over to Asia, Europe, uh, you know, anywhere, Africa, all those places. That's what life is kind of all about is, is being able to go out and see those places and be able to experience those things with the people that you love. So it's so fun to be a part of this. And, uh, Joey, I think it's 
probably appropriate to, to hear a little bit more about your story and how you and I uh, met and really got into this. So I always find it fascinating that you grew up in Minnesota and decided you were an amazing athlete growing up. And so you went to school to play both football and baseball. Is that right? Yeah. So out of high school, I had the opportunity to, uh, to go play football and baseball at a school. I actually walked on for both. Um, I wasn't very highly recruited at all. Uh, I wanted to play both football and baseball coming out of, of a high school. It was just something that I wanted to do. You know, as every kid thinks they're going to make it to the pros and as a naive 18 year old, I thought the same. And I think it's good to have those goals and aspirations, but at a certain time you, you start to realize that maybe that isn't going to happen. And that was about two years in uh, at the school that I went to playing both sports that I realized, okay, maybe this isn't going to happen professionally. And so I started to think, well, what can I transition to? Like, what, what, what is something that I can do next? Um, funny story to kind of preface this. When I was in fourth grade, I had a flight um, from Washington, D.C. to Minneapolis with my mom. And the flight had horrific turbulence, or at least so I thought as a fourth grader. And we got off the flight, and I told him, hey, mom, uh, I'm never flying again. Uh, I will never do it again. And so this was always lingering in the back of my mind, like, okay, maybe I'm never going to fly again. But at the same time, I had a job um, at the Minneapolis airport as a gate agent. So I'm around about different way than most aviators come in that most people fall in love with aviation first and then decide they want to be, you know, they know they want to be a pilot at a young age. This is what I want to do. This is my career path. I fell in love with the operation, the passengers, the non-rev traveling, which we'll get to um, later. And then I was like, well, maybe this is something that I can do as a career. And so that's between my freshman and sophomore year in college playing football and baseball. I say, okay, you know what? Let me just start talking to these these pilots. Uh, how how can I get to where you're at? And they were all very gracious. They all sat down and told me what I needed to do. And thus was the trajectory of my life. University of North Dakota. Um, I, I wrote a letter to both my football and baseball team saying, hey, um, I kind of know this is it. This is the writing is on the wall. I'm not going to make it professionally, which was a hard realization. And we can unpack that um, at another time for any young aviators out there thinking about changing uh, careers. But, yeah, I, I just came to the realization it was time. Uh, I took them at their word, which probably wasn't super smart. I just enrolled to the University of North Dakota, one. Two, I knew I could get a loan. And three, I knew that uh, I could pass the medical, which is pretty strict for pilots, which we'll also unpack. Uh, and with those three things in hand, I went. I, which is funny because I didn't mention anything about liking aviation in that. There's very well could have gone up on that first flight and gotten sick or hated it. Uh, but I, I took my employees or my colleagues, excuse me, at their word and went there. And uh, the rest is history, so to speak. That's awesome, man. And for the folks listening, as you can probably start to tell, Joey's got an amazing kind of uh, leadership component to him. So if memory serves, you played both uh, quarterback and pitcher for the baseball team, right? Yeah, I'm a hook, which means for those of you that play uh, baseball, I'm a lefty. Um, and then in, in football, yeah, I was a lefty quarterback, which is also extremely rare. Uh, doesn't happen super often. But I was pre-Russell Wilson era, which what that means is before Russell Wilson, short quarterbacks were looked at negatively. Like, I mean, you had to be, you know, 6'4", a stallion, 
you know, that kind of thing. That was not me. Oh, yeah, and then if you were short, you needed to be really fast, which I also am not. But the one thing I had was a big arm. But um, I, I'm just appreciative of those years that I that I played baseball and football. Uh, it, it was a great experience. I, I think it, it lended itself well to becoming a pilot. Um, and, and, you know, we can unpack that later. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very thankful. You know, I don't like to toot my own horn. But, I, you know, I, I'm athletic. And, and part of it that's beneficial for aviation is I'm competitive. And as we all know as aviators, pilots are extremely competitive. And, and I think uh, that lended itself well to, you know, the, the, the track record that I've had moving forward. But, uh, yeah, I had a little, right. little bit of an arm on me, but I'm very slow. So. That was I wasn't breaking any tackles or doing any of that stuff. There you go. Well, fortunately for us, the the group that uh, we are speaking to with this pod is uh, I don't think your athleticism is going to come into play here. But <laughs> what I what it will come into play is your leadership ability and your natural uh, a, your ability to get people on board with something and not even necessarily as a salesman, which is kind of the first term that came to mind for me. But I've just seen you command a crowd in our years of friendship and years of working together through our different airline careers. You can work a crowd with the best of them. And uh, I've watched Joey speak in front of hundreds of potential aviators and you can hear a pin drop in the room. And so to me that translated from your leadership ability on the field. And so I think where I'm going with all this is I'm so grateful to have you first of all, as a friend uh, and second of all, as a partner and not only this business and in this podcast, but just as our careers progress in aviation and uh, we'll get into where we were together, but unfortunately we now work for different major airlines. And uh, for those of you that do follow us on the social media stuff, you know that we don't necessarily talk about which airlines we work for. And there's a reason for that. The, the guidelines uh, that we must follow as airline pilots is that we don't speak on behalf of our companies. So that's the reason that we don't, uh, but both of us are so proud of the companies that we work for. We absolutely love doing it, uh, and we're so on board with with what they're trying to do. So uh, Joey and I often talk about how it's a bummer that we don't get to work together anymore, but I am so proud, Joey, again, to have you on the team and, and to be able to work with you, and it's it's so fun to be able to call you a friend. So um, a little brief history about where we came from. We both went to the University of North Dakota. They have a big aviation program up there, uh, and yes, the winters were horrible, and especially for me, a kid coming up from Sacramento, California, uh, you know, I got up there and started learning how to play hockey. And I was like, well, this is cool. But what do you do the rest of the 23 hours a day where it's negative 40 degrees? And uh, the answer was not much. <laughs> we uh, we were able to build some really good friendships. So anyways, all that said, Joey and I then went and recruited together at a express carrier, which was SkyWest Airlines. We could talk about that one since we no longer work there, but we recruited together. That's how we got to know each other. I became extremely close there. And then when we started this service, and we'll talk about how the service got started, uh, my first call was to Joey. I said, hey, this is what we're going to do. And he said, I'm on board. What do you need? And so that's really where we got started. So the way that Dial-A-Pilot uh, was launched was simply my sister-in-law is terrified of flying. And it came on for her a little bit later in life. Uh, she was dating this guy, and he was really afraid of flying. And, and so she was trying to calm him down. Well, over the course of that, she developed this fear of flying. And so uh, I've known her for 10 years or so. And so she would call me before every flight. We would talk about everything. And I always kind of thought it was maybe a little bit ridiculous to be afraid of flying. And then all of a sudden, 
I moved to San Francisco and I started talking to folks that I was meeting and they had all these questions about aviation. Oh, do you ever get scared in turbulence? What about over the water? What if an engine fails? All these things. And I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, here's all the answers to that. This is the policies and procedures that we plan for. This is all the fuel planning that goes into it. Here's how we stay safe up there. And so finally one night, I was talking to this gentleman I'd never met before, and he was telling me how afraid of flying he was. He had no idea I was an airline pilot. And he, for like 15 minutes, is going on and on. And finally said, would it be beneficial for you to have the opportunity to call one of the pilots ahead of time and be able to just ask them all their questions, get a briefing on your flight so you know what to expect? And he goes, oh, my God, absolutely. Why, are you afraid of flying? I said, no, I'm going to start the business, actually. So that's what started it. And I just started making videos on TikTok. And uh, it had kind of this viral element to it, which was awesome. And as we have continued to grow and expand and be able to talk to more and more folks, what we decided was let's tell, let's let the clients tell us what they want. Cause that's what it really is important. This isn't about, you know, mm -hmm. us talking about our aviation war stories and all that stuff. There's a bunch of podcasts out there about that. Uh, and, and sure they're fun to talk about. And we'll sprinkle a couple in here, you know, here and there, but what we wanted to do is say, hey, what is causing you anxiety the night before your flight? What's causing you to not want to book that flight to London? What's causing you fear when you're actually on board? Why are your palms sweating? All those things. And what can we do to help uh, from a you know, very light side of aerophobia? You know, just, ah, I don't really like this. All the way to the folks that have a true phobia that need clinical intervention. And we're building that service that can connect you with the person, whether it's us or, or whether it's you know, a true... Uh, mental health professional, our goal is to be able to be that place that you come to first and allow yourself to get the help that you need, whether it's just, you know, the simple 15 minute conversation that we have, being able to talk to other clients uh, that are nervous flyers and share your victories and share your travels and be able to celebrate each other's success without any trolls on the platforms. Our goal is really just to provide this opportunity for everybody to to just travel confidently and the slogan that I keep coming back to is let's just seek to humanize the flight deck. Let's seek to mm. make it so that you feel comfortable asking the questions. You have the context as to why the chimes happen, what turbulence means, why it happens, what are the pilots doing during turbulence, all of those things. So I think what's important to recognize here is that as we go through this progress or this process rather, we want our clients to drive the build. We want you to tell us what you want to see. Is it video briefings? Is it text message services? Is it, you know, the community where you can tell everybody how well you did all of those things. So as you, you know, if you're listening to this and, and you've used our services or anything, reach out to us on social media, uh, reach out to us at the emails that are on our websites, whatever it is. And tell us what you want, because we want to provide mm -hmm. it. And it's so fun. It's, I mean, it's Joey and I building this thing. So it's not, you know, there's no big company behind us. It's just the two of us. So 100%. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be doing it. Uh, Joey, any, anything to add on that? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, in piggybacking, obviously, a lot of that can go towards Dial a Pilot and this podcast from the flight deck. Uh, I think one of the cool parts about this free form or long form ability to talk about these things that we can unpack a lot of the things that you are very concerned about in a longer format. So obviously on the phone calls, we we are a little bit time crunched. We'll spend time if, over that time, obviously, to answer all those questions. But in this format, totally not scripted, 
totally free form whatever comes to our head we we can talk about which is something that we can't really do as the pilots on the phone calls because we're trying to get through things sequentially in order to respect your time and, and the money that you paid but in this form uh, we can really take everything that you guys want to talk about and, and that will drive the podcast so i i, I can't stress that enough that this is going to be totally user driven everything that we talk about i want it to be um from you I mean, we'll have a few things that we want to bring up and things that we think are important uh, for you to hear. But for the most part, on all the different socials, please, you know, like, subscribe and, and see when Kyle's going to post, uh, whether it's a post or whether it's a, a just comment what you want to hear on these podcasts. We want to hear from you. Uh, the other piece is, unfortunately, with the way that the industry is now, we can't really there's no great time for us to talk with you the passenger i mean we can in passing you know say hi where we're flying to you know the the traditional questions that you ask us where's b47 which half the time we don't know by the way um we're in that airport new to it as well so if you ask a pilot that they might look at you puzzled it's because they don't really know the airport um but um no, I, I think it's it's important for us to be able to do this, and I, I think it's huge. And Kyle, kudos to you for starting this business. Um, I mean, it just came out of left field. It's one of those things. It's like Uber or or the, what, what are the limes? Those little scooter things where you're like, why didn't I think of that? And I'm just grateful that I have a friend who's a genius and thought of this, and that I'm being a part of it. Um, but with this podcast specifically, again, unfortunately, with the way the industry is, we don't have time a lot of the time to go over these things with every one of our 230 up to 340 passengers. And so this is a way for us to hear the what the user, the, the, the individuals that are scared of flying, are afraid of, and unpack them uh, in a way that we can just talk about it, which, again, we can't do out on the line. So this is so cool. Uh, Kyle, you I appreciate the kind words earlier, but you also uh, are, can speak so well, too. So I can't take all the credit on that. We are a powerhouse recruiting team. Uh, we, 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 love, we loved it. And it wasn't just us, too. Uh, there's a lot of individuals that you guys might hear from in the, in the coming weeks that were a part of that team as well. So, uh, again, happy to be a part of it. But I can't stress enough. We want to hear from you. Uh, and we want to hear what you guys are afraid of and what you guys want to hear on this uh, From the Flight Deck podcast. Absolutely. So I think with that being said, and Joey just alluded to it a little bit, let's talk about what we're actually going to be planning on doing here. And the goal of the pod is we're going to seek to drop a episode every Monday uh, throughout the month. And those episodes are going to have different themes on each one. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bring on uh, previous clients that have either overcome their fear of flying or are working with us before every flight which we do have quite a few folks that actually do that. They come back and we give them a briefing every single time, which is which is a blast for us. You really start to develop these personal relationships with these folks, but we're going to bring them on to talk about kind of their journey through uh, their fear of flying and you know how they're moving through it and the reason that they fly so much and all of those things. So that's one of the series that we're going to do. Uh, another series that we're going to do is bringing on industry experts. So we have flight attendants that are, going to come, that are going to come on and they're going to talk about uh, tips and tricks because they're really good at that. But we're also going to talk about what are they trained to do? Because you do hear you know, folks from the flight deck, we ask that you pay attention to the flight attendants because they're here primarily for your safety. Well, let's hear it from them. What are they here for? And, and they really are there primarily for your safety and for our safety. And uh, 
they don't get to flex that muscle very often. Thank God, because, you know, when we're in an emergency, that's when they really, really step into what they're trained to do. So we're going to bring flight attendants on to talk about that. We're going to bring weather professionals on. We're going to bring hypnosis people, people that do virtual reality for fear of flying, all sorts of really cool stuff. Uh, we're also going to do just an, an episode a month about Joey and I's kind of war stories from from flying and you know what we've learned because so much of aviation is going out there and learning from both your own experiences and the experiences of others. Because sometimes you make a mistake in the cockpit and you realize, oh, okay, well, that I shouldn't have done that. I'm not going to do that again. And so being able to share those moments uh, for us is really important. Uh, and you know sometimes those stories are kind of funny. Like for instance. Uh, Actually, I won't even get into that one. That one's not funny, but uh, I got some some stories that are certainly entertaining that we'll touch on uh, in the future. And then finally, and this is a big one, and we're going to be very tactful about how we do this. We're going to explore aviation accidents of years past and how they have impacted safety moving forward. And our goal with that is not to be fear-mongering. We don't want people to sit there and go, oh, I know what happened to this one flight, and I'm nervous it's going to happen again. What we're going to say is this is what happened on that flight, and this is how aviation safety has changed forever because of it and has made us mm. safer to this day. So all of those folks that have had aviation accidents in the past, we don't ever want to let that go because, like I said just a minute ago, it's all about learning from other people's mistakes, and whether it was a mistake of a air traffic controller, a pilot, mechanic, uh, you know, the engineering of the airplane, any of those things, there's always something to be learned. And so we want to talk about those things so that when you do see on TikTok or whatever, some aviation accident that's happened, you can come to us and have that reliable source of these are the facts and this is what's actually happened. And this is where we've gone since. So uh, I'm really excited for that specific uh, episode style as well. And like I said, we're going to do our absolute hardest to be 100% factual in that. And again, not fear-mongering whatsoever. This is a podcast that is all about helping folks move through their fear of flying. Uh, Joey, anything to add on that? No, I was going to talk about the structure. Obviously, Kyle lives in California. I live in Minnesota. Um, so this will probably be a majority of the way that we kind of set this up, uh, you know, being in different locations. But we, we definitely plan on having a few in-person live podcasts as well, which I'm really excited about. That's kind of the, the, the form that I like as far as podcasts. But one of the uh, benefits of being in aviation is you can kind of live wherever you want. So I'm guessing a lot of the, the guests that we have on, the different people that we have on, it will kind of be in this format. But we really, again, encourage, uh, if you, this is new to us, me and Kyle, we are pilots by trade, not podcasters by trade. Um, and so if there's anything that you guys would like to see differently, um, or if something you know isn't correct, please let us know. Um, we're kind of going through this. We just wanted to get this out as quickly as possible because we do see a need and we do want to help um, where we can. That includes other industry professionals too. If there's something that, that we said that you disagree with, we're going to be more than willing to correct ourselves, um, and, and uh, we, we encourage. Absolutely. And Joey, I think, uh, you know, as a little taster of what we're actually going to get into, because we've talked a lot about ourselves and kind of where we're going with this thing. And uh, if you're still paying attention, first of all, we thank you for sticking with it. But I think what'll be exciting is the actual tips and tricks that are going to come out of this. So uh, what I think would be beneficial is let's talk a little bit about takeoff. It's something that we <laughs> get questions about all the time on our calls. Yeah. And People say they're afraid to take off or they're afraid of turbulence or whatever it is. So 
uh, I always like to talk through kind of the different decision points that we talk about on, during takeoff because what the, the question that comes up is, is oh, I just feel like we're going to run off the end of the runway and what's stopping us from doing that? And the answer yeah. is a lot. And oh, yeah. so what we'll actually do during takeoff is before we ever push back from the gate, we put on all of our data and we push that into a, uh, a flight management computer. And then we send off that data and that data is all, it's the weight of the airplane, the temperature, the wind, uh, all of those things that we tell it which runway we plan to use. And then it actually goes to the system and then it comes back and kicks us back the exact numbers that we're going to use. And those numbers are what we call V1, VR, and V2. We'll talk about those in a minute. But we get these extremely specific numbers that are computed and we end up loading those into the airplane. The airplane accepts them. We verify them multiple times after that because, of course, weights can change once people get on the airplane and all of those things. So we're always verifying it. But what's, more, what's the most important part of this for the passenger is that when we're rolling down the runway, Joey, let's say in this instance that you're the captain and I'm the co-pilot, and uh, it's my leg. So co-pilot's mm-hmm. flying, captain's the pilot monitoring. We'll talk about what that means later, but essentially... Uh, in in uh, a really brief synopsis, if the co-pilot's flying the airplane, the captain's running the radios. So we're rolling down the runway, and we have our first part of the takeoff, and that's zero to 100 knots. We call this the low-speed regime. So during the low-speed regime, Joey, what are we going to reject for? <laughs> uh, Put me on the spot here. Um, so each airline is different, um, but in general, any kind of malfunction that happens in the low-speed regime we deem it necessary that we can stop. There's a few iterations of that. And the airplane actually knows what we should be looking for. So we have master caution, master warning lights. And again, this somewhat depends on manufacturer. But those will tell us if there's anything prudent to the flight under those speeds, whether or not we should stop the takeoff. So we're looking for those. We're listening for unusual sounds. We're listening for unusual uh, engine roll-up. So if one of the engines spools up really quickly and the other one is stagnating, that there could be something wrong there. We'll stop for that. Um, if a window opens, there's a lot of different things in the low-speed regime um, that we're stopping for. Uh, and again, one of the cool things about these airplanes, a lot of people always are like, well, what if the pilot makes a mistake and, and on these phone calls? Like, what if the pilot makes a mistake? And and that's true. We're humans. I, I always tell people that we're humans. We make mistakes. But the manufacturers knew that when they built these aircraft. So that's why there's so many levels of redundancy that any it's monitoring everything on, on that takeoff roll. And again, those lights will pop up. They'll make noises. And we'll know, okay, this is something that the aircraft thinks that we should stop for. And then above 100 knots, uh, things change. And, and again, every airline is different. Sometimes it's 80 knots. Sometimes it's 100 knots. I know my airline uses 80. Um, you guys might use 100. And oh, again, you guys do. Once you get, yeah, we use 80 knots. Uh, 80 knots is our, our, our cutoff. For, oh, for, interesting. Okay, know, yeah, we're, we're 100 not. knots. Yeah. So, again, there, each airline is different, but uh, at the end of the day, there's going to be some sort of low-speed low regime. And I'm sure I missed a lot of things there that, that we abort for, but those were just some of them. The point here is that we're aborting for a lot, and when I say abort, that means stopping the takeoff, if I didn't make that clear. Um, there's a lot of things that we're going to stop for in the low-speed regime. Right. So, so I, I'll, I'll summarize that. And anything below, so my airline, which is zero to a hundred knots, which is the right way to do it. I'll point out is we'll, we'll reject for anything. And so in a, re- in a reject, what the captain uh, does is they turn the auto throttles off. They reduce the power to idle. They pull the speed brakes out. 
and they ensure that the auto brakes, which are a, a system that we have on board, have actually initiated the rejected takeoff. So that's something that we make the call out for. So anything below 100 knots, if, if something pops up and we're not sure what it is and we need to take a second to think about it, we'll just reject. We got tons of runway. We're not going to overheat the brakes. You're really not going that fast. So that's what we reject for. Anything from 100 knots to V1. And now what is V1? V1 is the decision speed that we actually use. So once we hit V1, the hands come off the throttles, we're going airborne. Whether we have an engine failure, an engine fire, anything like that, we're taking the airplane flying. So that's a really important number to know. Now, why is that at that specific number? It's because we have enough thrust on the other engine to take us flying, and we have enough airflow over the wing to take us flying. And all of the engineers have calculated that under these specific conditions, we can maintain terrain separation. So even if we blow an engine at V1 and we take off and we're coming out of Aspen, Colorado, we have a very specific procedure that we fly. So we're never guessing. And I, you know, I, I think that this is enough speed to take us airborne. It's never like that. It's always we know for a fact that we're good to go. So with that being said, 100 knots to V1, my airline rejects for engine fire, engine failure, PWS wind shear caution, or I'm sorry, warning or caution. What that means is there's a wind shear out there, meaning a, a shift in the winds that would cause um, what we would call undue hazard to the airplane. And so if we get a warning or a caution, we'll reject for that or... And this is the catch-all. Airplane is unable or unsafe to fly. Let's say we blow, you know, six main tires on, on one of the landing gear. And all of a sudden, we feel this weird shimmy. We would probably reject for something like that. Granted, is that really making the airplane unsafe to fly? No, but we don't know what it is. So anything that's kind of that weird, you know, you get a swerve on the runway, we'll reject for something like that. And below V1, what I also should mention is that we have the available runway length to safely stop the airplane should we need to and that's the operative thing here we have what's called the accelerate go distance and the accelerate stop distance and i won't get into all that because it just gets too technical but what it really means is we have enough runway to take off we have enough runway to go all the way up to v1 make the decision to reject and safely stop the airplane on the runway if we ever calculate that our takeoff performance would not give us the necessary margins to have that ability to take to go all the way to v1 and stop the airplane and not stay on the runway we're just not going to go flying that day we'll take weight off the airplane to make it so that the numbers would work uh we'll wait until the weather gets better as far as you know cools down anything like that what i think is so important that that i always tell folks on our calls is we are as pilots our job is risk management and in risk analysis. And so if we ever look at a situation as being too risky to accept, we just won't take the airplane flying. We have the same goals as the passengers at the end of the day. Albeit, you know, for me, if I'm flying to Charleston, South Carolina, I don't necessarily care that I'm in Charleston, but my goal is to get somebody from San Francisco to Charleston safely as quick as I can, but not ever withstanding, uh, you know, making a decision that's unsafe. But the goal and this is what I'm really getting at, is my goal is to get you safely on the ground. And I, Joey, 100%. I know yours is too, but that's always, always, always what's in the front of our minds. And so if there's any question that we're able to do that, we simply will stop before we ever get to a point of making a mistake. And so we'll, you know, we'll not go fly. We'll either make a diversion, anything like that. So again, specific to takeoff, I hope that answers a lot of questions. Low-speed regime, high-speed regime, 
and then actually after V1 and taking the airplane flying. Joey, do you have anything else to add on that? Yeah, I got a couple things. Um, just I'll go kind of reverse order here of what you've talked about. The last piece that you talked about, I'll, I'll humanize this even more. Um, a lot of the times when we do these phone calls, and Kyle, I know you've heard the same thing, it's a recurring theme that the individuals that we talk to were never worried when they were kids. It all happened at some point. They don't know when as they got older. And one of the things I talk to with my clients, if you will, is I say usually that's because you start to – love more things or you have things that you're looking forward to or you have a mortgage or you just had kids or you just had a dog so all these things start piling up and you start playing those doomsday scenarios why do i bring that up well when we're deciding whether or not we should take off or, or whether or not we should fly or whether or not we should land at that airport all those same things are also in our hearts like we also have things that we want to get back to uh like there's nothing that i'm gonna do to put in jeopardy my impending wedding next year or any of those kind of things. So your pilots also have those same loves, wants, needs, aspirations. And so I think sometimes there's an emotional disconnect between the passenger and the pilots, but it's the same thing, right? Like we also have things that we love back on the ground and we are never going to jeopardize ourselves um, and put ourselves in a bad safety situation. And the lucky part about being a passenger is that those people that have those feelings are the ones that are flying your plane. So um, just to humanize that even a little bit more. And then another thing is, again, a common reoccurring theme is, well, what if my pilots like aren't ready for it? Or what if my pilots like forget or this, that or the other? One of the things that I think people don't realize is how much we train, right? And I'll, I'll keep this brief, but every new airplane that we fly at the commercial level, you're going to go to training for three months. And we're going to get into training and takeoffs and more depth in future episodes. But again, just a quick synopsis since we talked about takeoffs. We, in those three months, part of the, it's usually a month and a half, month depends on the airline. You're going to be doing simulators. You're in a multi, multi, multi-million dollar simulator that acts and feels exactly like the real aircraft. And what we can do in those is we can really manipulate and see different things as pilots, whether that's a engine failure, whether that's the wind shear that Kyle was talking about, whether that's an electrical failure at the low-speed regime. Are we going to continue or are we going to stop? Did the airplane tell us? All these different things. And we probably, in a four-hour simulator, we're probably going to do anywhere from you know 20 to 40 takeoffs in that time. Obviously, these are just generalization as numbers. But point being, we practice these takeoffs over and over and over. And if our trainer doesn't de see that we are adequately doing it, he'll tell us that we need more training, and we'll do that. And that's every single pilot, no matter if you're flying on an airplane that holds 50 people or an airplane that holds 340. Uh, and then beyond that, well, then you're like, well, okay, they do the, that training, then what? Well, every nine months or 12 months, depends on the airline, you're going to go back and you're going to do another set of, I mean, again, depends on the airline, Another set of simulators for eight hours uh, in two different two different simulators. You're going to practice all that again. And you're going to get checked out by an examiner, and they're going to tell you whether you're good to continue flying for another month, nine to 12 months, or if you have to continue to do training. And so the point is, your pilots are extremely proficient in this. Every nine months, we get a checkout. And they you have to do it to standards, or else you don't get a go. So we get to see this a lot. We get to do it. Uh, in the simulator, which feels exactly like the airplane, and we practice and we practice and we practice. But I can't stress enough my first point that, and what Kyle was was saying is that we're not going to go flying if something isn't fitting within the confines of the rules and regulations that we have, whether it be because it needs to be in those regulations or for the more 
humanizing piece that we also have things that we want to get back for back to and and I think sometimes that gets lost um uh in translation and that's just a byproduct of the way that the industry is we have that little door you know we give you the little the wings and the cards uh and then that's really it you know sometimes a captain will come back and and thank their million milers but other than that, you don't really get to talk to us very much, and that's not a fault of of the passenger or the pilots. It's just a product of the hustle and bustle that uh, America is, or the world is, uh, for that matter. Right. No, I agree with that entirely, and I think uh, one addition to what you talk about with you know the pilots being human and having you know, mortgages and families, and and obviously your impending wedding. Uh, and for me, I have a two and a half year old golden retriever, and uh, more importantly, a wife that I want to get home to both of them as well. <laughs> but What's important to note here, yeah. too, is that we also we have off days and things like that. And so I'm sure that if you're at home listening to this, you're probably wondering about that. And how do we mitigate that threat? And it's a great question. And our folks in charge of how we operate the airline have thought about it. And we actually the first thing that we do when we sit down and we get the airplane ready and we're ready to brief is we do what's called a threat forward briefing. And the very first one on that is personal. And so you could you have the opportunity to say, ah, you know, my wife and I got in an argument last night, and I'm good, but I just, you know, I just, I just want to tell you that that happened last night, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm good to go, but, uh, you know, it's a little bit on my mind. And so, you know, we as pilots are really good about compartmentalizing, but I think it's so important and so valuable that the those in charge of the airline recognize, you know, they they must have read Brene Brown's books and realize that, hey, everybody's human and goes through these things. And so they have said, hey, let's let's just talk about it. Let us, let's get it out in the open so that we can all understand, hey, let's get to 100%. And if it's just stuck in your mind and floating around, that's not going to help. So get it out there in the ether. Allow it to you know, be known amongst each other. And let's go operate this flight at the highest possible level of safety that we can achieve. And hmm. that's the goal on every flight. And I have to say in my... Uh, now 10 years of professional aviating, I am so proud of the people that I fly with and their ability to maintain a high level of professionalism and, and be able to do that and to be able to be you know, vulnerable and open to say, yeah, you know, my wife and I got in an argument last night or, or whatever's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it's just so... I think it speaks worlds to the type of folks that, that we have the opportunity to work with. And so I'm just proud to be a part of this organization. I'm sorry. I'm proud to be a part of, part of this industry. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's so fun. And, and so for us now, Joey, obviously not losing sight of why we're doing this, to be able to translate that to the folks that have these questions and are nervous travelers, uh, it, it's really fun to be able to say, yeah, this is what we're doing. And for us to learn from the nervous travelers and say, hey, what can we be doing to make your flight better? And for instance, you know, 100%. I know now after running this, when turbulence comes and I turn the seatbelt sign on, I take an extra 10, 15 seconds and just say, hey, here's why the turbulence is happening. We expect it to last 10, 15 minutes instead of, mm-hmm. you know, seatbelt signs back on or anything like that. And of course, you know, I also know you want to watch your movies, so I'm not going to make a 60 second announcement, but, uh, you know, just a little something like that. So uh, I was talking to a doctor the other day and he said, oh, yeah, you're just trying to get a good bedside manner. And I thought that that was a really good way to put it. So. Whether it's humanizing the flight deck or getting a good bedside manner, uh, I think that's our goal here, Joey. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And and I, I, I you're going to get to hear not from just us, which I think is, and they'll probably reiterate a lot of the things we've said. So so excited to be a part of this podcast, and I can't wait to see where it goes. 